0: Mosaic WDW. My name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, man, it is good to be with all of you tonight, uh, and for those of you who are joining us online, it is great that we live in uh, 2020, and the technology uh, is available to be able to do uh, what we get to do, um, and yet at the same time, it's 2020 still. You guys think this year's ever gonna end? Uh, let's, let's hope, let's hope that it does. Um, you know, we have been walking through, um, as a church now since 2006, we've been walking through, uh, just teaching through the Bible, uh, chronologically, and we started in 2006, uh, and I just want you to think back where you were in life in 2006, just think about that. Uh, maybe, uh, you were still in primary school, high school, maybe you were in college, um, you know, uh. Some some of us, man, 2006 doesn't seem very long ago, but uh, it was a minute ago, and here we are in 2020, and we are in the book of Ephesians, and as God's sovereign hand uh, would have it, uh, this book has been the perfect book of the Bible, the, the perfect uh, uh, journey for us to walk through during this crazy year uh, that we have been experiencing, uh, 2020, 2020. Um, Man, uh, you know, nothing that I could share with you right now would be anything that you don't already know about how bad 2020 has been, right? We have this global pandemic. Uh, We have uh, experienced and seen racial injustice, uh, social injustice, racial division. Uh, We have seen political injustices and division. Uh, We have just had a very contentious uh, election that we just walked through and 2020 just won't stop, can't stop, won't stop. And we're like, man, can, can we just make it to 2021? But in the midst of it all, we've been reading through this book of the Bible called Ephesians. And I find it so fascinating when people say things like, man, can you really trust the Bible? It's such an ancient document uh, or collection of documents. It seems like maybe those are so outdated, or they're not applicable anymore to to life as we know it today. And and first of all, we as followers of Jesus affirm that the Bible is indeed useful because it's the word of God, right? That's part of why we believe it's it's useful. But one of the things that that demonstrates that it is the word of God is is what the Bible says about itself that it is living and active. The book of Hebrews says that the Bible is alive, that it's sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces between the bone and the marrow right to the heart. Uh, and, And it does what it's set out to do. The word of God never goes out and then returns void. It always does what God intends for it to do. And the book of Ephesians has been this just perfect, perfect message to us during this time. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians Just about 2,000 years ago. And uh, it was meant to be a circular letter uh, that would be written to churches that were in the region of Asia Minor. Paul was in prison at this time in the city of Rome uh, under his first Roman imprisonment. He is awaiting trial uh, or at least a hearing with the emperor, um, who at that time was Nero, so not a nice person. And as Paul was awaiting this trial, rather than fretting about the results of that, instead he's making the most of the opportunity that he he has. And while he's under either imprisonment or house arrest, he is writing to churches that he helped plant during his missionary journey. So Ephesians is written to the churches in the region of Asia Minor that Paul planted, and he's sending this letter uh, by way of a a person named Tychicus, who we're going to get to know a little bit more again tonight. And this letter that Paul sends has two main themes, two mega themes. And, and these themes, um, as you hear them, you're going to begin to see why this letter was so perfect for us to walk through this year. The two themes of the book of Ephesians, the main themes, are reconciliation and renewal. Reconciliation and renewal. And each of these themes has kind of two main parts. The, the first, reconciliation, uh, is, the, is the first part is that this, this uh, reconciliation takes place between us and God because of what Jesus has done through his life and death and resurrection. So first, our relationship that was broken and tainted and marred by sin and our rebellion against God uh, is reconciled. It's brought back to rights. We are back in right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done when we put our trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for salvation. So we're reconciled with our creator. Creation, humanity, is reconciled with creator through the good news of Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus. So that's reconciliation part one. Part two of reconciliation is that because our creator has reconciled uh, us to himself, the very next natural step is that creation, that, that because we've been reconciled with our creator, can now reconcile with one another. That all of the things that sin have done to, to mar and and to ruin interpersonal relationships that we have, whether that's with friendships or family members or uh, people within our community, uh, people in our workplace, people in our culture, um, you know, even things as uh, massive as like societal strains that take place. The, the good news of the gospel steps in and says, we want to reconcile that. We want to make that right again. We want to heal that. What, what's been broken, we want to bring healing to that. And so the book of Ephesians, the prime, one of the first themes is reconciliation. And then the second theme, a secondary theme in the book of Ephesians is this theme of renewal that God would take as if Maybe uh, someone who loves cars would, would take a vehicle that is torn and, and battered and rusted and uh, broken down and, and decrepit uh, from a junkyard and, and would take that car out and, and begin to work and polish it off and, and restore it uh, to redeem it, to uh, to renew it, to bring it back to new life, to the life that it was meant to have, this this vehicle, maybe a classic car or something like that was that was meant to be this beautiful car on the road. The, the, the car lover uh, takes that vehicle and restores it and renews it. And this is the picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians of renewal, that, that God, our creator, who sees us in the, in the junkyard as, as our sin has brought us to that junkyard, uh, that, that has damaged us and, and, and corroded us, God, the lover of our souls, the lover of humanity, comes in, And says, I'm not going to allow you to just rot in the junkyard. I'm going to renew you. And so the the first piece of this theme renewal is this personal inner renewal that happens. That when we get to know Jesus, God begins to to take us and change us from the inside out to make us more like him. So that's one of the major differences between Christianity and any other world religion that you will study uh, in school. Or maybe encounter or have been exposed to in your personal life. Is that. Christianity changes us from the inside out. Every other religion is man's attempt to become better on the outside so that the deity that we're talking about or interacting with will accept us. But Christianity is altogether different than that. What what Christianity says is that God, the deity, comes and dies a sacrificial death on a cross so that we could be made right, that the penalty of our sin could be paid for, and that we could be forgiven, and that we could be Uh, renewed, remade into the likeness of our creator, brought back, restored to the original intent of God's creation, which is that humankind would bear the image of God and display who he is to the rest of the universe. (laughs) It's pretty cool. So these are the two themes that we find that the Apostle Paul is just uh, uh, from every different angle speaking to through this letter to the churches in Asia Minor that we call Ephesians, and tonight we have the crazy privilege of actually being able to close out this letter together. We started it last August at Mosaic. We take our time through the Bible. We had some breaks in there during the pandemic. We we walked through Psalms, and uh, we're still in the pandemic. Like like that was a thing in the past. You know, back during the pandemic, we you know it's still happening. Okay, Um, but but we have taken a couple of breaks for for uh, you know a couple of different reasons. But here we are. Uh, And it is uh, time for us tonight to close out the book of Ephesians, which is like bittersweet. You know, it's like uh, saying goodbye to to your favorite pair of shoes, you know, Um, but you can wear them again. That's a bad, that's a bad illustration. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like a a really good album. You know, you've been waiting for the album to come out and you give it that first listen. You guys are like, what's an album? (laughs) I listen to Spotify. But, But back when they were, okay. My analogies are struggling tonight. I'm just gonna move on to the scripture and to the word of God. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so grab your Bibles. We're gonna go to Ephesians chapter six as we close out this old shoe CD that I just, it's a reason why I write notes and prepare, you know? So I don't say things like that, but alas, I'm an imperfect human. Okay, so Ephesians chapter six, Uh, We're gonna start in verse 21 um, as we close out uh, this book together, Ephesians. So let's see, Uh, here we go, here we're we're making it. Ephesians chapter six, and if you're on uh, like a phone or a smart device or whatever, and you can choose your translation, we're in the English standard version. Otherwise, grab your Bibles and open to Ephesians uh, chapter six, um, starting in verse 21. Paul is uh, doing what was very common in letter writing in the ancient greco Roman world, so letters were the main form of communication. Um, it was very costly uh, to write a letter uh, uh, you know to, to get papyrus and to get uh, someone who could write small enough um, to be able to to save that very expensive papyrus, somebody who could travel and take the letter from one place to another they didn 't just have like you know, you know, Amazon Prime, you know, situations going on in the ancient world. It would take months often to, to take a letter from one place to another. So it was a very costly endeavor. And the words that went into these letters were chosen very, very carefully. Now, of course, we know that the scripture that we have was inspired by God, that, that the Holy Spirit inspired every single one of these words. And yet God uses these human authors like Paul And they're human beings, and so they do things that are normal according to the customs that they were in. And one of the things that was normal in a letter writing is that you would have like a pretty uh, epic greeting. You would give a blessing to whoever was receiving that letter, and then you would kind of give the the body of the letter would be like the purpose of your letter. This is what I'm talking about. And then at the end of the letter, you would do some final uh, greetings that would really serve as a way to say, hey... Uh, I I appreciate who you are. I'm glad you're in my life. I care about you and I want good things to happen in your life. So if you study uh, the Greco-Roman world and the, the letters that were written during that time, these final greetings were very common, whether it was just one friend to another or a family member or if it was a business letter or even governmental letters, they would have these final greetings. And what's interesting about these final greetings is that they would usually be pretty like standard But the Apostle Paul took uh, extra care with each one of his greetings uh, to say something that was meaningful to the audience. And tonight's uh, experience as we finish out this letter in the book of Ephesians is no different. Uh, Paul, every letter he writes, ends his letter with final greetings. But this one is very special. So let's, let's read it together. Verses 21 through the end of the letter. Paul says this so that you know so that you may know how I am and what I am doing Tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything so Tychicus it's a very strange name it might sound a bit like a sneeze it's not it's uh, it's a guy who we encountered in the very beginning of the letter and for those of you who are with us back in August we actually had a guy named Stephen Trafton come And he has a ministry called Living Letters. He's a very talented actor, um, but he also memorizes huge chunks of the Bible, including whole letters that uh, were written for the New Testament. So Stephen Trafton came and he recited the book of Ephesians for us, but he did so in the character Tychicus. So if you don't remember that, if you weren't here for that, I would actually highly encourage you to go back uh, on our website. We've posted on our social media Uh, And there's a link uh, to this. It is so well done. I would encourage you to go uh, uh, listen in on that. And he actually quotes the whole book of Ephesians, which is incredible uh, as well. But he comes as the character Tychicus because Tychicus was the man that Paul sent from Rome to Asia Minor uh, with a couple of letters, actually. Uh, Spoiler alert, this letter, uh, as well as uh, the letter of Colossians were both brought uh, by Tychicus, at the same time, and uh, we'll get into that when we preach Colossians as well. But, uh, so here's Paul, he's saying, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, and the faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. It's interesting, Paul repeats himself here in just these two short verses that he wants the readers to know how he is doing. Well, first of all, that that should strike us as significant because that's not something he writes in his other letters so that you may know how we are, how I'm doing, what I'm up to. But it's unique because Paul right now, as he's writing, he's in prison. He is under arrest. He's in Rome. He's awaiting trial. He's waiting to meet the emperor, Nero. That was a big deal most of the time. When you appealed to the emperor, it wasn't like the Supreme Court where they would either rule for or against and someone would write an opinion article afterwards. Usually, you were either exonerated or executed. So it could go really good or really bad, okay? And so Paul is really expecting that he's gonna be executed. He's not sure, but he's in that space. But in the meantime, he wants to be connected with these churches. So he says, I want you to know how I am. I want you to know what we are doing And we actually find uh, through the book of Acts as Luke ends the the letter in the book of Acts that what Paul is doing is he is preaching the gospel like gangbusters. He's doing everything he can to tell everybody who will listen about who Jesus is. And in fact, the gospel is spreading. Actually, the imperial palace guard, people in in, uh, Rome, in Nero's palace guard are actually coming to know Jesus as savior. It's an amazing thing. that that the apostle Paul, the work of the gospel is bearing fruit even in those circumstances. But then Paul continues and he finishes this letter so uniquely, and it would be so easy for us to just miss this and turn to the next page. But tonight, I think it's gonna be super important for us to grasp. Paul says, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. This is a very unique closing for the Apostle Paul. This is actually the only time he closes with this phrase in any of his closings, this phrase, love incorruptible. And when you think about why that might be, why Paul would choose those two words, And you remember the fact that these mega themes that we've been walking through is this reconciliation that we have with God and then with one another as a result. And that God does a work of renewal in us and then through us to the society and to the culture around us. This idea of incorruptible love begins to paint a specific picture. Paul is reminding us of of these themes of this reconciliation between God and us and between us and one another and this renewal that is going against the work and against the stream of what sin is doing on earth. Think about what sin did when when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they chose to rebel against God and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The temptation that Satan was giving to them is that they would become like God and that they would know good and evil like he did, and that they would become their own divinity. But what actually happened? Instead of them becoming like God, which, by the way, they were already made like God. They were already made in the image of God. Satan is trying to trick them into becoming something that they already were. And they listened to his voice, and they chose to Rebel against God. And what did they bring into the world when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Corruption. They brought corruption to the world. For the very first time, death entered the story. For the very first time, sin entered the story. And they brought corruption into the world. And for the very first time, the human race began to, instead of enjoy fruitful peaceful, faithful fellowship between God and one another, there was enmity between humanity and God and enmity between humanity and one another. What did Adam and Eve begin to do? Right in the very beginning, with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God comes and he sees that they've sown fig leaves to their body to cover up the fact that they were naked. And this was a A a, a pretty obvious thing because God had made them to be innocent so that they did not think of their nakedness as shameful. But when sin entered the world, they immediately began to feel shame and they sought to cover up their shame. God comes into the garden and says, Hey, who told you were you were naked? And they begin to immediately point fingers, right? Adam points his finger at Eve and says, The woman you gave me, right? Um, which, by the way, Adam was with her, okay? So don't let anybody blame womankind for the problems of the human race. It's actually the fault of of the man. (laughs) Because the man was alive when God gave the command not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then Eve is created, and so it was Adam's failure, not Eve's, that brought us to where we are today. Yeah, it's true, and all the women can just say men. It's true, it's true. But here we are, all all of us as the human race, we are all experiencing the ill effects of sin and the corruption that is brought in because of sin that Adam and Eve brought to the picture. And the Apostle Paul walks us through the book of Ephesians in the most concise, clear way I can think of in all of Scripture and I want us to go back to that. Actually, this morning at the Winter Garden campus, I preached this uh, same passage and I walked through the whole book of Ephesians and it was awesome and fun in, in its own regard. I'm not gonna do that tonight. I'm actually gonna walk us through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 because I think it encapsulates the heart of the book so well and uh, that will that will be good for time as well. Uh, so let's jump into Ephesians chapter two together. Let's flip back just a couple of pages Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes this uh, incredible picture of the gospel in one sentence in Greek. In fact, there, there are periods and, and, and uh, some uh, commas and some uh, punctuation in, in our English Bibles just to help us uh, be able to understand the thoughts that are going on. But in Greek, Paul wrote this one through 10 is all one run on sentence. His Greek teacher would have given him points off for this. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, so excited, I think, about the incredible nature of the gospel, Paul writes this one very long sentence. And it starts, here's kind of the grid. Verses 1 through 3 tell us the bad news. Uh, Paul gives us the implications of the results of the Garden of Eden in verses 1 through 3. And then verses 4 through 7, he talks about what the good news is and what happens because of the good news. Verses 8 and 9, he talks to us about how salvation actually works, how we become saved, how we become children of God. And then verse 10 talks about what we do with our salvation. So I want to read this, and I think it's going to be so helpful for us as we think about how God has reconciled us and what he's doing to renew us. You guys ready? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. <laughs> Bad news, right? From the very beginning. Like not you were struggling or you were having a hard time or you needed some help. No, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What did God tell Adam and Eve in the garden? When you eat from the tree of the, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from that fruit, you will surely die. That death was what our inheritance was when we took the, the fruit and we ate it and we received the knowledge of good and evil. We, we abandoned our, our relationship with God, God who was our loving father. We abandoned our relationship with God and we chose our own divinity. And what did we bring into the world? Not life, not divinity, but death and death into the human race. And so that is our situation. The news is bad. It's grim. It's bleak. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's this original walking dead. You See what Paul did there? I apologize. Okay. I'm a father. I make dad jokes. All right. So, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we're physically alive and we are spiritually dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is Satan. So we're following Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So everybody's in there. There's not like some good people over here and some bad people over there. It's all of the human race is in one position that we are apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins. And he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when we rebelled against God, when humanity rebelled against God, Adam and Eve, instead of being the children of God that they were made to be, became children of wrath. And all of Adam and Eve's children, which is all of us, became children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What a bleak place that the human race found themselves in. But I love that God never lets the story end at that place in the Garden of Eden. In fact, uh, the, the first gospel is preached right after this event when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first gospel is preached when God promises to to put enmity between the offspring of Eve and the serpent, Satan, that there would be enmity and that Satan would bruise the heel of Eve's offspring, but that Eve's offspring would crush the head of Satan. And what does that bring us to? That brings us to the good news of the gospel that Jesus came and yes, uh, he was bruised. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crucified on the cross, he bore the weight of our sin on the cross. He bore the wrath of God on the cross. He experienced all of the penalty that our sin deserved on the cross. And he paid the penalty for our sin in full so that we could be acquitted in God's court of law. Tomorrow I have jury duty. You guys can pray for me, okay? But in this cosmic courtroom, Jesus comes in who is not guilty, and he stands in the place of we who were guilty before God the judge. And he takes on our punishment willingly and voluntarily so that we can be declared not just not guilty, but so that we could be declared righteous. So our situation was bleak, but God didn't let the story in there. And here's how Paul unpacks that in verses 4 through seven, And I love these two words that he starts with, moving from the bad news to the good news. Here he says, but God. Those are some of the most powerful words that can ever be uttered over your life. <laughs> whatever your situation has been, whatever situation you may find yourself in, those two words will change everything. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it doesn't get much better than that. But God, he did not allow the story to end there. He intervened. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly Places, I love that Paul is using past tense language to to declare where we are at with God. (laughs) Some of us struggle, depending on what our background is, how we grew up, maybe the family that we come through, maybe some of our religious experiences or our church backgrounds or how we perceive the world around us. We wonder where we're at with God. We wonder what the score is with God the good news tonight is that in God's mind, which is the only mind that really matters, in God's reality, which is more real than the world that we live in today, that if we are in Christ, we're not in a position that he is looking down on us, waiting for us to make another mistake and and judging us for, for those mistakes, judging us for our struggles with sin. No, none of those things. He's not waiting for us to get to a certain point in our walk with God that we would be holy enough to be put in some sort of special Christian category. He's not doing any of that. That the moment that we meet Jesus as our savior, past tense, we are then seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places with Christ. God gives us the seat that belongs to Jesus and that Jesus deserves at his right hand at the very moment we get to know him as savior. There's no like progressive experience where we have to earn something with God, but instead Jesus has earned it on our behalf and God gives it to us for free. And just in case we weren't sure that that is true, he tells us why he does this. He gives us his motivation. If you ever wonder, uh, why did God do all of this? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why did God make the world? (laughs) Like, if there is this uh, all-powerful, self-sufficient God, he's one God, exists in three persons. He has community. It's not like he was lonely, so he made humanity. Some people will tell you that, but that's heresy. God is self-sufficient. He didn't need us. But he made us, knowing that we would rebel against him, knowing that we would commit sin, knowing that we would bring death into the world. Have you ever thought about, like, why did he do it? He could have just, him and himself, been cool for all of eternity. But he chose to make us. And here's what Paul says. Here's the reason that he's doing all of this. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, so... So there was our past tense that we're seated with Christ, but here is our future progressive reality, ready? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God do this? Because he wanted to show us his immeasurable kindness. He's just that good. And he wanted to show you how good he is. Do you wanna know where you stand with God? If you put your trust in Jesus, he is wanting to show you how good and kind he is. That's where you stand with God. Wow. This is incredibly good news. Paul starts with the bad news. He gets to the really good news, right? That God would show his immeasurable kindness and the riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, for for In case we're thinking that there's something we can earn in this whole situation, Paul dismantles that. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. (laughs) No one was good enough. No one was deserving. No one was worthy. But God gave us salvation by a free gift. Listen, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The salvation that God has given us, though the news was very bad, Jesus came in to make the, the news so good. And salvation has been given to us by God as a free gift of his own grace and kindness towards us. And the only part we play is simply placing our faith in him in response to his goodness and grace. And then he says, here is the result of your salvation. This is where the renewal begins to take place, both in you and through you. This is what I love is that we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, we who rebelled against God, God could have just done away with us. God could have quit on us, but he didn't. And not only did he not quit on us, but he also invited us to participate in the story. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship in Greek is the word poema. It's the word that we get our English word poem from. And the word in Greek is is really kind of trying to, to convey this idea that we are God's masterpiece, that we are his work of art, that we are his story being told in poetic fashion to the rest of the world. In fact, Paul will tell us in chapter three that, that, that God wants to demonstrate his manifold wisdom through the church to the entire cosmos. That God not only reconciles us with him, but he also restores and renews our purpose. That we would be partakers in the gospel, but also not just the participants or not just the recipients and partakers, but also that we would be participants in the gospel. That we would be, bring other people to know Jesus as God's workmanship, walking in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So this is the essence and the nature of the gospel, this gospel that, that reconciles and this gospel that renews. Gospel is just a a church word for good news. That we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, God didn't leave us there, but God who's rich in mercy loved us enough so that we could be made right with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And then not only does he rescue our souls, but he restores our purpose. This is the nature of the gospel, this gospel of reconciliation and this gospel of renewal. This word incorruptible at the very end of this letter, um, where where Paul uses this word at the end of the letter, it's very unique to to the book of Ephesians. However, he uses this word in one other place Very, very strongly. In fact, he uses it back to back to back to back. In four different verses, he uses this word over and over and over again. And in our English Bibles, we translate this word incorruptibility or incorruptible. But there's another connotation to this word. And that that word also includes the idea of immortality. That there is not only a, a life and a restored purpose for us to live here and now, but that this life that we experience here and now in Christ is the beginning of our eternal life with him. And that eternal life doesn't start the day we die. We step into its fullness the day we we die or the day that Christ returns. We step into its fullness then, but here and now we step into eternal life as followers of Jesus. And our call is to bring that life to others. I want you to listen to what Paul says, and you can turn there if you'd like. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, where he uses this word uh, incorruptible, the Greek word is aptharsia, but it means incorruptibility and immortality, and he uses it over and over and over again in 1 Corinthians and then once in 2 Corinthians, and I want us to hear these words today as we consider the nature of this incorruptible love that Paul is finishing the book of Ephesians with, this book that has been marked by reconciliation and by renewal. Listen to this. Paul says, for the perishable body, the mortal body, the dying body, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. So there's the the two implications of that word aptharsia, this incorruptibility and this immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to the pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul continues that thought in the next book, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse four, and he says that what is mortal or dying gets swallowed up by life. Just think about that concept. What is mortal gets swallowed up by life. See, this gospel, this good news, this thing that God has done in and through Jesus Christ that he's inviting us into is the good news that our life, though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has been reconciled with God. We've been made alive again in Christ. Our purpose has been restored. Our Our uh, lives have been renewed with this purpose of immortality. That That our eternal life begins here and now. And our job, our goal, what God is calling us to is simply invite others in. I don't know about you, but 2020 has brought about a lot of death, both uh, you know actual death and figurative death. Maybe some things uh, in your life have uh, really been uh, difficult in this season. Maybe you've struggled with job loss or furlough. Maybe you've struggled with the dreams that you had, maybe coming to Orlando, starting to fade away or even die. Maybe you've struggled Uh, in your interpersonal relationships. Maybe you've struggled uh, in, in countless other ways that I couldn't even begin to understand, but you know where you're at right now. And what the book of Ephesians screams out to you tonight is that God desires to reconcile with you and through you. And God desires to renew within you, and he desires to renew through you. And that this imperishable love that he's given us in the gospel is a love that will make uh, an impact and change everything around us, not just in this life, but in the life to come. That eternal life is something that God has given us that begins here and now. And that it gives us the opportunity to love people differently. It gives us the opportunity to live differently because we know that this world is not our home, that this is 2020 is not the end, but that God has not finished writing the most incredible story that's ever been written. And it's a story that is a story of reconciliation and it's a story that ends with renewal. And that's hopeful, amen? Amen. God, thanks so much for the book of Ephesians. God, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. God, that even in a final greeting that the apostle Paul gives that he would choose to end with that word, with, with love incorruptible. God, that it would be a reminder to us that the gospel that you have given to us is a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of eternal life. It's good news that even though we have made a mess of things in so many different ways and the world around us makes such a mess of this life that you do not allow the story to end there, God. But that Jesus, you are our hope. That because Jesus, you came and you lived and you died and and you resurrected from the dead, all of our hope for this reconciliation and for this renewal can be in you and found in you and that our hope is not in vain. Jesus, I thank you for the eternal life that you have extended to each and every one of us. And the only way that we get into that is simply by trusting you not any of our works, not anything we can conjure up, not our own good behavior or our moralism, none of those things. But that salvation and eternal life comes to us by grace through faith in you. And God, that you would be so kind to pour out your immeasurable riches and grace upon us, that you would be so kind to seat us in heavenly places with Christ you would be so kind to pursue us, even when we were running after and running away. That you chased us, that you bring us to yourself. God, I pray that through the book of Ephesians, God, we would recognize that you are a God who reconciles, that you are a God who renews, that we would put all of our hope and trust in you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.